0: Welcome to part two of our interview with Joanne Folletta, music director of Buffalo Philharmonic and Virginia Symphony, among others. Um, Joanne, I wonder if you would talk about your experience in Ireland with the Ulster Symphony. Is that the, yes, the, or- the orchestra, orchestra there? Yes, the Ulster
1: Orchestra in Belfast, in Belfast, Northern Ireland. It, it has been an eye-opening experience for me because it's the first European post that I've held, and things are very different there than they are in the U.S. Uh, the, the orchestra is supported, basically, by the government through the BBC, through the broadcasting company. Uh, and it, it records for the BBC, and it plays. It's played on the, on the air all the time. Um, and in some ways, it's very positive. You know, we're, we're here in the US, we're always um, longing for more government support. And uh, you know, very rarely getting more government support. We get just a very small portion of our budget from the government, uh, which is the opposite there. And I always uh, envied that. I always thought, wow, what a wonderful situation that would be not to have to worry about um, raising money. Mm -hmm. But it has its disadvantages, as I found out. And, uh, for instance, uh, the BBC is having some financial difficulty itself. I mean, the U.K. government, all of Europe, is is struggling, as as we are in in the U.S. And a proposal has come uh, through to cut the budget of the Ulster Orchestra by 20%. Now wow. that's a big cut that's in a one huge year. Chunk. That's yeah. a huge chunk, which would would result in actually having to lose twenty percent of our musicians. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're hoping that's not going to happen, but it does show you that if you are completely dependent on government, that government support can go away. Yeah, and it also it also sometimes in some countries uh, makes for not the best relationship. I remember when I was you know for first guest conducting in Europe, and I was conducting in Spain. Uh, The morning of the dress rehearsal, the manager said to me in a very offhand way, he said, "Uh, just wanted you to know we're not going to have any audience tonight. And I was just appalled, and I thought, why? I said, is it the program? What is it? He said, oh, no, 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 we never have an audience. (laughs) I said, well, that sounds terrible. And he said, oh, no, no, not to worry. He said, the government pays our checks. We're government employees. It doesn't matter if anybody comes. And I thought to myself, Oh, now there's a disadvantage. Yeah, that's of, not a very good no. uh,
0: plug for more government support here. <laughs> no,
1: because you know we we do rely on our audience and our donors and our community to support us, but that's a good relationship. I mean, that's a partnership where mm-hmm. where people care about the organizations in their region. Uh, it's a healthy thing. So I, I began to think, you know what? There's there's a lot to be said about uh, a great deal to be said about American. Philanthropy and volunteerism, which only exists in our country, it just doesn't exist anywhere else.
0: I can imagine. Um, do you sort of feel then, when you're in Ireland, that there's sort of a lack of community? Do you feel? Do you do you make connections with audience members in the same way that you do in the U.S.?
1: We do with audience members, but we don't make connections necessarily with businesses or with individual sponsors because that's not part of the culture there. Uh, they would very much like it to be more like the American system. But again, I have to go back and say that we have in our country a history of philanthropy where for the last 150 years probably, uh, people have stepped up and said I I want to make things better. Let's have a, ch- a new hospital built. Let's have a school mm-hmm. or a church or, or an orchestra or a ballet company. Individuals and uh, and companies have made that happen. That's that's only an American philosophy, where you take responsibility for your environment in that way, and it's hard to to create that in a in a situation where it hasn't been.
0: Right, and so um, how often are you over? How often are you in Ireland?
1: I go to Belfast about six or seven times a year, and it's uh, it's a wonderful orchestra, you know. It's an orchestra with a in a very old hall, beautiful old hall, um, as you know, in that part of the world that there were in the past, you know, as as. Recently, as maybe fifteen or twenty years ago, was, was a very troubled place, um, and that's really become a m- much more peaceful environment. I mean, the uh, both parts of you know Ireland and Northern Ireland have have become closer and and uh, uh, exist in in tranquility now for the most part. And it's uh, I think music has played a role in that. I think the Ulster Orchestra has played through some very difficult times and and been there for for its audiences and. I've also learned a great deal about U.K. repertoire and Irish repertoire. Uh, composers uh, well, we made a disc of unknown piece by, pieces by Gustav Holst, for instance, and, and I've just discovered the music of a man who's part English, part Irish, E.J. Moran, who's fantastic, Elgar-like music, I mean, fabulous music. So there's a lot I'm learning over there.
0: So it strikes me that as a music director, you know, I think... Most people see the music director on the podium conducting the concerts, and um, don't always think about what's happening behind the scenes, right, right. because right. and that's sort of the the idea behind the performing arts is that the the audience doesn't see what's happening and it's all magical and exactly. you know but we know that it's not <laughs> just magic the way these things come together. So could you talk a little bit about you know for a typical season for the orchestra for one of your orchestras? What the timeline is and how far out you plan, and all of the maybe not all of the steps, but yeah. some of the steps that you go through administratively as a music director. It's not just about showing up and, and conducting. Right. No, so, could you talk right. a little bit about that?
1: Yes, you know, we start planning at least two years in advance. I mean, now in Buffalo, we're already planning for our 15, 16 season. So uh, we have to have a strategy of what we're doing and what that season is going to be about, what it's going to be like, whether we're going to go to Carnegie Hall, whether we're going to have a tour to Florida, whether uh, we're going to mount a different project in Buffalo, uh, the big picture things. And we need to start thinking about who our guest artists will be, what our repertoire will be, how much all of that will cost. I mean, that's that's a very big issue. You so know, you
0: get involved in those conversations as yes, well? Yes, I
1: mean, and, and again, I, I will make a proposed list to the executive director will then cost everything out and, you know, do what he can to make it work, but he sometimes has to come back and says, you know, I just don't think we can do both the Mahler Symphony and the Glière Symphony in the same season. It's, they're just too enormous. And what do you think about if we postponed one or uh, did one a previous season or whatever? And we can work on things like that. Or guest artists, we usually can have two or three big names, but no more than that. So... It's juggling a little bit of a juggling act of, of how we put our season together, what the mix is like, uh, what um, what uh, what um, corporation or individual might be interested in a particular project. Why we go to Florida, for instance, we're going to Florida for one reason to. To stay in touch with our Buffalo people who mm-hmm. are spending the winters in Florida, yeah, the and snowbirds, the snowbirds, and that's very important to us. So for us, it's a development tool. It's not only the wonderful—I mean, the wonderful treat of going to Florida in February and playing a week of concerts there.
0: I can't relate to that at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we suffer through it, and but uh, but the. Um, the idea that that many of our most important people and and most loyal supporters are there, and they're very happy to welcome the Buffalo Philharmonic for a week there. So, so all of this is strategic. I mean, nothing is is. It may seem to the o- to the audience sometimes that things are kind of spontaneous and and as you say magical and that's good i mean it's fine mm-hmm. how much new music should we do you know that we'd like to to support and i think it's a critical part of, of who we are i mean we're not only a mirror of the past which is a repository of the past which is beautiful we're a mirror of our current society so we 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 need to do we want to do new music how much and what kind of new music i mean we are very proud that we we've just had three fabulous concertos written for our players in the Buffalo Philharmonic. And that to me says a lot, that we were able to have three wonderful composers say, yes, I want to write a, tr- a concerto for the concertmaster, I want to write a concerto for the trombone section, mm-hmm. and, in, and also our final one coming up, a concerto for our principal cellist. Uh, those projects are very important to us, but they have to be planned long-term, and they also have to be analyzed in terms of the cost and, and the impact on, on our community.
0: And you're and you're talking about the the cost and the budget for each concert. How much then, as music director, when you're looking at a specific concert, can you then also project the revenue side? In other words, we're going to do Ravel's Bolero, right? right? We right. know it's going to sell well. How much? How much does that factor into the process?
1: Well, it does. It does because uh, if we want, let's say, I want to do a brand new concerto that okay people will you know be perhaps interested in, but. Uh, Maybe an entire program of unknown music they'll be less interested in. So, okay, with that, I balance it with the Beethoven 5 or uh-huh. Beethoven 7 or Bolero, which we have on uh, next season. And th- those kinds of things where where it's a, a mix, again, being aware of what the public knows they like, but also being aware of the responsibility to open the window to some new idea, to open the door. I mean, we have to do that. We can't, re- we can't expect the public to... to to tell us which new composers they want to hear, but they do expect us to present the best to them. So it's our responsibility. But yes, there's always a balancing act and you know, even a balancing act between how much nineteenth century music we do, how much, you know, eighteenth century music we do, how much German music we do, how much Russian music we do, we try and always make a kind of wonderful jigsaw puzzle of, of some fabric of, of a season that will be intriguing to people. Mm-hmm. And we tie it to different things. I mean we're for instance, in in uh, 2015, we're celebrating a very important birthday of our hall in Buffalo, Kleinhans Music Hall, which is an extraordinary hall, and it was built by uh, uh Elio Saranin, a great a great Finnish architect. So we're planning a Finnish festival centered on Sibelius with the Finnish government. I mean, they're sending wow. architects and they're sending musicians to us uh, we're pl- in the planning stages. But you see how far in advance we have to plan for that to happen. But that's very relevant to Buffalo because we are proud of this very groundbreaking hall at the time, very modern Scandinavian hall, uh, you know, built 75 years ago. This is a very big deal. So those kinds of projects have to be weighed and balanced and... and uh, and taken advantage of in the best sense.
0: Well, and I can imagine, too, in Virginia, especially if, since you're playing in five different halls with limited control of each hall, that's right. as music director, you're really at the mercy of sometimes the schedule of the hall more than anything.
1: You are absolutely right, and I think that that's one of our challenges in Virginia that we don't have in Buffalo because we are the basic tenants of the hall in Buffalo. In Virginia with five different halls, we are constantly trying to fit the concerts into the same weekend and uh and we've had to be very creative sometimes we you know we'll do three performances in one weekend and a fourth performance you know the next week uh whatever we need to do but it's critical for us to be able to play in those communities because the they are can be as much as an hour apart and and people want to hear music in a way that's easy for them to get to. So mm-hmm. it also keeps our music very fresh. You know, someone was asking me about the difficulties of playing three nights in a row in three different halls. And isn't it so hard for the musicians? And I said, you know, actually, it's wonderful for us because the third performance, the fourth performance, is just as fresh as the first one because the acoustical environment is so different. You're
0: readjusting the whole You're time. You
1: readjust. I mean, the visually it's different, physically it's different, acoustically it's different, and it makes it like opening night i mean it's it's fabulous for us it's made the musicians there very flexible and uh always listening to each other i feel like virginia symphony in a way is like a gigantic chamber chamber ensemble because they're because of those things that's created uh, a situation where they're listening all the
0: time Mm -hmm. so also on the administrative side um you know as a conductor who's constantly traveling right you're in virginia you're in buffalo you're in ireland Uh, In the summer, you're probably spending some time at Brevard Mm -hmm. at the music festival there, which is a beautiful spot. I love it. Um, So I'm wondering about the logistics of all that and who helps you with that and how important is that to what you do and to enable you to, to really do your job?
1: Well, it's very important. And again, it's something that has to be worked out longer in advance than people think and uh, both Buffalo v- and Virginia cooperate in terms of how we lay out our weeks and what week is best for what orchestra. Um, mm-hmm. That takes a little juggling, but but we do it. And um, it's really a, a question of planning. Uh, and for me, it's it's very, I learn a lot from, from both orchestras, from all three orchestras, of course, in, with, uh, with Belfast as well. Um, so I feel that I can bring to the other orchestras something that I've learned from a different culture, a different environment, a different uh, way of making music. And it's very important for me to understand that each orchestra is different. They have their own personalities, they have their own sound and to love that and enjoy that. I mean, when I come, sometimes I I do the same piece maybe with two different orchestras in a season um, and it's very different because it's informed by who they are and I have to come, of course, with a strong strong interpretation of the piece myself, but I have to be very flexible and allow room for those orchestras to to make it their own, and that's what I love to see. I mean, this week working in Syracuse on Rimsky-Korsakov, um, Shahrazad, and Nielsen, Aladdin, two pieces I've done before, hearing it different, differently, hearing it, uh, hearing things I'd never heard before, hearing things treated in a different way, is very inspiring because musicians are putting who they are into the piece and that's what it's all about.
0: Well and I should thank uh, our new orchestra here in Syracuse Symphoria for uh, sharing you with us for this interview Um, this won't air until after the the concert happens but uh, you are in town performing with Symphoria our new orchestra in Syracuse and for more information about that orchestra our audience can head to www.experiencesymphoria.org Joanne Palletta, thank you so much for being here. It's been fantastic, and we'll hope to have you back again soon. Thank you, Travis. Making artwork is produced by the Arts Administration Program at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York, with support provided by the Department of Communication and Film Studies and WLMU Radio. Our theme song was written by Lemoyne College Music Faculty Member Edward Rahowski and performed by the Bang on a Can All-Stars. For more information about Arts Administration at Lemoyne, Visit lemoyne.edu slash artsadmin or follow us on Twitter at lmcartsadmn. I'm your host, Travis Newton, hoping you'll join us again next time on Making Art Work.